Hello, welcome to List Off. My name is Nat. My name is Ozzy. And her name's Hayley. We've got <laughs> Hayley Campbell Hayley. with us. <laughs> this is a weird intro. We've got Hayley Campbell <laughs> with us again uh, because you, you, um, nominated is that the right word you said that you should do top five fictional dads mm -hmm. yeah it was my first one when you were fishing around for episode ideas this was months ago we did top five fiction fictional mums because it was mother's day and now it's going to be father's day so now is the time yeah it is the time although you can just do it anytime really talking about dads dads full, are good it's full time thing i was gonna introduce you as i don't want to say you had dad issues but you're a dad fan <laughs> you're a dad fan big fan of the dads yeah. the right dads i think i've got some good dads on the, on my list um, that's interesting did you find it difficult or easy to come up with some dads i had uh loads of dads um the difficulty was ordering them i think but as as soon as i thought of my number one that one didn't move from its top spot I found it tricky. I thought it was a tricky one because I felt like in fiction, there's lots of people who are incidentally dads, mm -hmm. but they're, they're, the issue of them being a dad barely comes up. So I couldn't just have someone who is incidentally a dad. Yeah. So what I've done is I've got on my list, it's a top five dads, but it's definitely not the best dads. Some of the dads I've got are bad dads. Same, same. Um, Okay, that's fine. So I've got some bad dads, but they're big, culturally big in big my dads. world. Right. Yeah, I like, I've, I've got uh, some bad dads, but they, I don't know, symbolize something I like in dads. Yeah, yeah. I've also avoided certain dads because I thought it'd be nice to perhaps not overlap. And I went, I think I know some of the other people's dads. So I've sort of tried to avoid. <laughs> you don't know me. I've, I've tried to avoid some dad crossover. I can't guess anyone's dads. I'm I, looking forward to this. I am woefully underprepared for this. Um, I only added my fifth just before we started this call. Um, I have mostly spent the last week or two coughing. Um, Right. And it's very oh, yeah. hard to think about dads while coughing or anything <laughs> that matter. Hmm. And you can swear and of, while coughing. And that's about it. Out of the three of us, you are the only one of us who is a dad. Yeah. Or too yourself. busy being a dad to think about other dads. No, that's not true at all. <laughs> You're too busy being a real dad to yeah. be a, a fictional dad. I told dad. the kids what they said, what are you doing? Because they like to know what, what are you doing on your list off? And I said, we're doing fictional dads. And they were like, will you be on it? And I was like, no. Cause I'm not fictional and the older ones, are talking, the little one, like, yeah, he's a real dad. Cause he's our dad. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's right. But so she gets what fictional is, whereas the little one is like, might as well be toothbrush or grapefruit or any word, but mm. yeah, fictional dads, no real dads. I think we should that's say why again, my, why my dad isn't on the list because even though he is a comic book character, I thought that would be kind of a, a cheat yeah that doesn't make him fictional that just makes him no. uh literary mm. although technically he's, he gives himself a different name doesn't he he does so he's yeah. like that's borderline isn't it yeah it was borderline also you know 
uh, autobiography as part mythology, isn't it? So, uh, you know, uh, I thought we could uh, maybe bend it, but then I thought, nah, no, nah, I'm going to play this straight. Now I'm going to do Nat, fictional dads. Me and Nat now have to say how much we like our own dads and would have included them if we were not, <laughs> not obeying the rules. Yeah, I'd include my own dad. Yeah, me too. Um, I also like everyone else's dads. <laughs> got a lot of time for both your dads. I'm not knocking either of your dads. I uh, I think that's fair. I'm not I'm not knocking it. I have lots of real people's dads. I think it's. I haven't got you on my list, Ozzy, because um, I'm real. Your youngest told me that you were real, <laughs> and I had to come up with a different one. I think it's fair to say that Haley's dad's bigger than ours, though. Yeah. He's probably yeah. got four inches on my dad. I don't yeah, know. I reckon. Yeah, you're right. I mean, with my dad, my dad's tiny. <laughs> so he's like he's like a whole other my dad. <laughs> <laughs> he's like uh, my dad if uh, he was a dwarf trying to get into a movie. Actually, <laughs> actually, dwarfs are allowed into 18s, aren't they? It's children. He's, he's sort of Hans <laughs> Molman sized. He's little. <laughs> yeah, be children. Children. If you're just small two, and over 18, you're allowed into two an 18. Two dwarves don't need to climb on each other's heads and go in a <laughs> coat to get into an 18 movie. That's ridiculous. You're right, that is ridiculous. ID and get offended yeah, at the rude yeah. person and you. <laughs> right. You've, well, fair enough. You've got to fair kick enough. us off. You've got to kick us off with your number five. My number five was one that I kind of thought back of childhood and this popped into my head. Um, and I hope... It's not something I've revisited and I'm slightly worried that there's something in it that would make me go, ah, oh, that maybe is not such a great dad. But a great dad from my uh, childhood was uh, William, who's the name of the dad in the Roald Dahl book, Danny the Champion of the World. Oh, I think that is a good dad. Good dad. And he uh, works in a garage. He and his son Danny uh, live in a caravan behind the garage. And they go off and have lots of kind of, uh, well, I was going to say quite wholesome kind of country adventures, but a lot of it involves drugging uh, pheasants. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> really, but that bit, that that thing about threading, dipping, uh, dipping a thread with some sort of uh, like drug that would make them go to sleep, and then getting raisins and threading a raisin. No, they. That's been sat in the solution. Oh, was it that? I thought they put sleeping pills inside the raisin and then sewed it up. Oh, my understanding was that it was just uh, soaked in. Ah. But maybe you're right. It's been a while. Uh, it's been a while. Been a I while. I don't for remember me. this bit at all. And it's so they can drug some pheasants, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but it felt like it felt like it was it was a very transportative book that. And very much put me in in that world, uh, which is kind of a very clever thing, which I think is, I mean, it's a thing that all books do, but I think it felt that it felt different because it was probably an early example of that happening. And is he, me. is he not another example? I think we're going to have lots of probably, is he not, he's a, he's a single dad, isn't he? Hmm. Dad in that? I don't remember the mum being around. I think he's a widower. Yeah. That may come um, up again. Yeah, I guess that's because that's what I mean. I think to be a dad in a film, it's or any piece of fiction, it's almost like dads have certain roles. Often it's like it's a revenge plot. 
so you know they're a dad because someone's got their kids <laughs> or you know they're a dad because there's no mum like it's like there's it's it's there's like a difference when we're doing fictional mums it's a different thing whereas in fiction women are often mums mm. yeah dads can be incidentally dads but the idea that they're a dad is just to tell an audience you know they're like you normal people they're not like the idea of their dadness yeah. isn't a point of it yeah. so i was trying to so this is an example of that where it's like it's kind of important that he's a dad of course the other good thing about danny the champion of the world that really ignited my childish mind is that in the book danny the champion of the world the dad is reading the bfg to danny mm. before the bfg existed Ooh, i didn't realize it was before oh it's before it's before and i really like that shared universe sort of thing he has <laughs> that's like product like, placement yeah i didn't know that yeah uh hayley what's your number five my number five is, uh, this is sort of a cheat. It's All Dads, played by Eugene Levy. Um, because I think for a certain generation, if you saw American Pie, he is the iconic dad. Uh, he's uh, embarrassing in his openness and interest in Jim's life. But he's just kind of looking for a way to help. So when he walks in on Jim fucking that pie, he just says, oh, well, we'll just tell your mother we ate it. <laughs> and um, I think uh, all the best dads are just looking for a way to help. And uh, they don't know what to do with a problem they can't personally fix. Like if I tell my own dad about a problem he can't fix, I just get to watch a man collapse. And it's, yeah. it's like, I wish I hadn't told him. But if I tell him something he can fix, uh, it doesn't matter what the problem is. He's energized by it. And um, so Jim's dad didn't really care that his son fucked a pie because it was a solution. It was a thing he could give a solution to. It, he could fix something. Um, and also, most recently, Eugene Levy was the dad in Schitt's Creek playing the father to his real-life son, Dan Levy, who has inherited his eyebrows lucky man he has he has the best eyebrows to look concerned with and supportive with and i've got a dad with similar eyebrows so i had to put him on my list i think eyebrows are a big thing on dads and uh <laughs> eugene levy has got the most iconic ones out there love him did, did he have a, a career playing young men before or did he only really break through as a dad well, I didn't notice a career as a young man. <laughs> no, <laughs> he, I think uh, I remember him first as uh, Jim's dad. And then I went back a bit, but not far. Best it's, in show. Let's ask oh, the internet movie database. <laughs> no, I know that one of the facts is he is meant to be the brother of Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters 2, except he is cut out completely. So oh. there's meant to be a subplot with Rick Moranis and his brother that is cut out of Ghostbusters 2. And he is. So I guess that's his sort of. He's a bit Rick Moranis uh, in the late 80s. I've never seen Shit's Creek, and I've just done the thing where I've I've heard of Dan Levy, but I've never seen him in anything. And you've done that thing in my head where I've fun. gone, they, I get it now. Yeah, their father, their father and son. Yeah, and that's got Catherine O'Hara in it, right? Yeah, she's fucking amazing in um, in Shit's Creek. She's so funny, and yeah, she's uh, a good one. Uh, I, I love Schitt's Creek, although the first like five episodes, you're watching it going, I don't understand what everyone loves about this show. And then somehow it clicks into the place and you go, oh, I get it. It's just nice. It's a nice show. 
Yeah, Lily watches it, and I, 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 I haven't really watched it, but every time I come in the room, I'm like, oh, it's quite funny, actually. And, yeah. and I'm also in a WhatsApp group with a guy who posts, like, meme GIFs from it 24-7. So, you know, I'm quite exposed to it in that way. I think I've got most of the plot from just reaction GIFs. Mm. But yeah. if, you're right. If, if there was a top five eyebrow havers, yeah. you'd well, maybe he, be well up there. He did the voice for the dad in Finding Dory. But of the, course. Fish, the fish didn't have eyebrows. I thought they missed a trick. <laughs> but... He's like he's. You hear his voice and you go, "He's a dad." Iconic. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Another good dad. Yeah. My my number five is so bad. I can't vouch at all that this is a good dad, but I liked him at the time. It's uh, Charlie Burrows from the nineties uh, UK sitcom, The Upper Hand, <laughs> based on the American sitcom Who's the Boss. Which had, yeah. I have never seen this. He had Honor Blackman in it. That was the most famous sort of impressive thing about it. And uh, and uh, I quite fancied the daughter, uh, who is Kelly Bright, who's now in EastEnders. Uh, As Danny Dyer's wife, isn't she? She's Danny isn't Dyer's she wife now, yeah. But I liked her best when she was Charlie Burroughs' daughter. I think she was called jo- Joanne or Joanna. Maybe. Anyway. I just used to watch that. I'm not a sitcom guy. You know, I'm not a sitcom guy, but I used to, there's a few sort of bog standard British sitcoms that I just used to watch. And that was one of them. And I just used to really like it. And I think I thought he was a really good dad. He's, he's a, he's a former footballer who wants like, I think you get the impression he's had like a slightly dodgy past. And I think he's from the East end of London and he moves out to Hertfordshire or somewhere. I don't know exactly where it is a, a home counties kind of place to look after he's a i think he's a widower and i uh-huh. think he, and he takes a job as like this kind of posh lady's housekeeper but like a housekeeper where you go and live there with your daughter and so she, she has a son and her mum is on a blackman who's kind of all sort of randy and that's you know, right lecherous and stuff and it's like i don't think there's like five or six series of it where the the uh the housekeeper charlie burrows and the the posh woman who's the housekeeper for try and date other people and have romantic things while obviously to everybody else slowly falling in love with each other and i think it ends with them getting married um yeah but he's just like a nice dad who was kind of he became dad to the boy in the house and it was an unusual sort of he's quite a macho geezery sort of bloke played by paul mcgann uh joe mcgann joe mcgann not paul mcgann joe mcgann you're right the other one another mcgann and paul mcgann's not macho geezery but... no but he was wasn't he now he was kind of like he was kind yeah of yeah like his a brother's blokey, a bit more he was a yeah. blokey kind of guy yes joe he looks McGann. like the kind of guy who plays rugby right but he was not a, one of us he was supposed to be a football player you know he was like oh, football you know the build for rugby but he was just i don't know he was like an unusual sort of nice dad to have on the tv yeah yeah i used to watch the upper hand as well it doesn't strike me as something like i certainly couldn't vouch for it being funny but like <laughs> i definitely used to watch it it's based on yeah it's based on who's the boss where that character is tony danza from taxi but again i quite like the idea like both of them are quite funny titles where it's a bit like who's the boss and it's like she is <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like <laughs> it just like the thing is like i'm a man so i should be the boss right it's like now you've been employed to be a housekeeper. <laughs> what? <laughs> but who's got the upper hand? She does. She's the boss of she. 
yeah, employs but you. He, but he wasn't he wasn't presented as being like an embarrassment or have, he was doing the right thing for his family for his daughter and he took pride in doing a good job of looking after the house and looking after the kids and as somebody that does that kind of stuff nowadays maybe he was like a seminal influence on me sure um, i actually do think that's a better i think that's an improvement on the american one whereas i think the idea is much more in the american one that tony danza's like hey it's me tony danza can you believe i'm working for a woman yeah it's yeah, that yeah. sort of uh, <laughs> so it's kind of an improvement on the on the format they've kind of like sharpened off the edges a bit and gone surely this makes a bit more sense and it's like yeah that's we've got the premise down now we've got the premise it hasn't sort of lived long in people's memories i don't think it's not one that comes up a lot but charlie burrows that's no. my dad number five ah! my number four i was thinking of this and i i was thinking of movies with dad characters that i like and i sort of disregarded some more um well-received films that would probably in favor of this film and it's a film that i don't think is terribly highly regarded uh but it's a film that whenever i watch it often by accident i watch it always to the end and i think it's a film that i i i I think I need to really stick up for it because I always think it's really well done. And that is Gil Buckman, who is Steve Martin from the film Parenthood. And I think it's a film, but it's also a film that's specifically about families and fathers and son and uh, siblings and uh, nieces and nephews and children. And Gil Buckman, Steve Martin, and, and it feels like when I was a kid, Parenthood is kind of a bit of a disappointing film because it's got Steve Martin's only got one sort of really funny Steve Martin-y bit. And the mm. rest of it you go, oh, the rest of it's just more like, it's kind of a bit serious, but there's one bit where he goes a bit Steve Martin-y. Um, and that is, and the older I get though, I think the more I appreciate all the other stuff in it. And it's a Ron Howard movie, you know, it's not like, it, so it feels like it's almost designed to be a bit kind of middle of the road, mm. but it kind of isn't. It's kind of, there's loads of stuff in it that you kind of think, God, that's the first time I've sort of seen anyone tackle lots of these topics in a sort of mainstream film. And I think it was really pushing a lot of boundaries. It's also a film which has a big um, Randy Newman song that plays throughout it. So when you watch it now, it feels like you're watching a weird Toy Story spin-off. It's got that <laughs> sort of like, oh yeah, it's like a weird, and it's almost, and it's a very Randy Newman-y, Randy Newman song. And, <laughs> and Gil Buckman is Steve Martin, and he's a dad who doesn't want to be like his own dad, who's Jason Robards, who basically he never saw growing up. Mm. But uh, uh, Gil Buckman keeps having kids. He keeps wanting to not have so many kids, but has ended up, I think he's then got his fourth on the way at, during the film. And he realizes that to be able to afford his fourth kid, he has to work more. And then he's terrified of turning into his own dad mm. by being an absent father. And he's constantly thinking he's failing his kids. It's a lot of that stuff, which is um, that feels very modern. One of his kids 
has special needs and he sort of sees it as a personal sort of failing or something that he's not doing as a dad whereas his own dad who he's determined not to be like um has a favorite son who is not steve martin <laughs> who's tom hulse and so you have this weird kind of love yeah. triangle but it's between fathers and son but tom hulse is a total fuck up and he's um but the dad respects him so much more because he's this guy who sort of not got a family and it's almost like jason robards and steve martin are basically the same man of a different generation but think they don't like each other mm. whereas tom hulse has got nothing in common with either of them mm. and he's a fuck up and he's the one that the kind of thing of it is all built around and you've got diane weist who's the sister who's got a different relationship with them it's a it's a very sort of smartly put together film, I think. I um only remember well, I, I haven't seen the film in ages and ages, but there's one line of it that is almost in constant usage between like in my family. And I can't remember the setup of it, but there's it's like a scene in a kitchen and Keanu Reeves is explaining to Diane Weiss some interaction he's had with the kid. Maybe it was wanking. He'd caught the kid wanking or something. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. But he that's says, right. oh, that's what little dudes do. And that <laughs> that line is just used all the time. It's, it's weird what goes into the, the regular usage. Yeah, but I think there's lots of that stuff in that film. It's got it's like really sort of smartly put together. And it's all about that. Keanu Reeves is going to be a dad and they assume he's going to be terrible because he's Keanu Reeves playing Keanu Reeves. And they go, this guy's like an idiot, but he's actually a super sweet, nice guy. And they go, actually, this guy's going to be a, a great dad because he really cares about people. And all the people that you think are kind of more successful are not great dads. Rick Moranis is another dad who thinks he the kids need to be educated at a really young age. But then he's sort of the, the his little girl kind of hates it and is just doing it because of him so you have all these father and son relationships that all are kind of intersecting and being i don't think i've really, ever watched this i don't think i've ever watched it i should watch it yeah, yeah it's sort I of always, weird I, I was just gonna I say know. i always like the way that uh, rick moranis's wife spite scoffs uh snickers in the in the wardrobe after he leaves because they've got this like tight um uh like fitness and um eating regime as tight as the the thing the teaching the children thing and he leaves and she's mad at him so she goes into her secret stash of chocolates and scoffs them and tom hulse has also got his own kid he shows up with his own newborn uh, or this new young kid that no one's ever met who he's called cool and he's <laughs> like uh, this sort of eight-year-old kid and you realize as well he's terrible he's a fuck up and he doesn't look after his own son and it's sort yeah. of it's that relationship that makes them all kind of realize actually the one that we think's the cool son is the one who's not not a great guy mm. good movie underrated movie i think and has I like agree. lots of um like i say it's got that kind of Pixar thing about it because of the Randy Newman thing and it's got that kind of it's it's got lots of similar Pixar-y moments and it's I generally thought about it at the end I was thinking in my head I was going what movie am I thinking of where these characters are in it and I was almost surprised that the answer was 
Parenthood. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's the that's the film that's really kind of got me in the guts loads of times. I always watch it when it's on too. Can't help it. Mm. My number four is uh, a classic. It's Homer Simpson of The Simpsons. Um, he was the first dad I remember noticing on TV who was a normal fuck up rather than like an overbearing authority figure or someone who was meek and who was only there to be like hit over the head with a newspaper by the wife or something. He was just the most average dude on TV. Um, and they're supposed to be this dysfunctional family, but I kind of like, it. they seem nice. They seem good to me. Um, mm. He was loving enough to tape a picture of Maggie to his office wall. And he was also, you know, he's, he's absent in the, in the sense that he's got a job and he's not in the house all the time but only enough for the kids to develop their own interests and personalities. Unlike Ned Flanders, who's got these completely indoct indoctrinated kids who uh, just seem to be mini Flanders. Um, uh, so he's allowed his kids to become these independent human beings. And I really like reading about all the, um, the special rules that all of the writers have for him. So they, they say that he can be explosively angry, but Groening uh, had a rule that Homer could never strangle Bart in a way that was premeditated. It always had to just- <laughs> had to be um, reacting. <laughs> yeah, it had to be explosively angry. Um, he's, and, and Homer is, uh, I, I love that he's sweethearted and I love that he completely knows that Lisa is smarter than him. And there are times when he defers to her. Um, he's super protective of his family and he has no ego. Um, and sometimes he gives up these huge things just to make his kids happy. Like that time he um, sold his ticket to a ride on the Duff Blimp just so he could um, <laughs> enter Lisa in a, in a beauty pageant because she was feeling really shitty about how she looked. Um, so she was going to go in that and she was going to feel better about herself. Um, I, a lot of the writers have, have said things like, as long as you write Homer like he's a dog, it will come off good. <laughs> so he's loyal, he's optimistic, and he's instantly gratified by food or, or whatever it is. Um, I just think he's, he's sweet. And uh, he's he's one of my longest standing TV dads, I think. Hmm. Out there. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's sort of living the dream as a dad in that there's all these points when you're a parent where you're like, oh, I just wish my kids would stay like this and not grow up to the next stage. Like, I, I'm, yeah. I'm all for growing up. I'm all for it. I'm not I'm not um, C.S. Lewis, but like I I I understand that I do have those moments where I'm like, just just stay like this and and homer has that because his kids have been the same for like 30 something yeah. years now yeah i think he's it's... aged four years i think he began when he was 34 or something and now he's like 39 has he it's... lost one zigzag off his head <laughs> <laughs> the um that the terrifying thing is now to realize that i am older than homer simpson yeah that doesn't make any sense to me. I can't, <laughs> I cannot accept it, especially when I know there are new episodes being made. I think, didn't they do one recently where it's like Homer is a teenager and he's into like Wheatus or something and you go, well, oh, this is mental now. Oh, I can't right. have this. So they, they, they're doing it like they're moving up their backstories. Yeah, it's like, with, a, yeah. it's like a moving timeline. Wow, because he used to be into like Jefferson Airplane or something, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. The idea that like I'm older, and that was the thing, wasn't it? Because when it when it started as well, or certainly when I became aware of it as a kid, I assumed it's a cartoon about Bart Simpson, and it's only when you watch it, you go, 
oh it's sort of if it's it's more about him than it's about any of the kids isn't that homer i think is matt groening's dad's real name i think and it's also his son's name (laughs) it just calls everything homer (laughs) (laughs) now we talked about marge on the on the top five fictional mothers list and we didn't we neither of us were putting her in and i think it's that thing where she never feels to me like that rounded of a character in a way like she it feels like she's more she's she's more she has that thing of a mother in a a tv show who is totally defined really by her relationship to the children and to the husband kind of thing whereas homer gets to be the kind of hero anti-hero you know icon of the thing really i mean it's 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 not it's not bart's show you know lisa's the smartest but that doesn't she doesn't she doesn't win because of that do you know what i mean it's not like the lisa show yeah Yeah. home was great home was great my number four is um nikolai petrovich kursanov who uh, is from the uh even turgenev novel uh fathers and sons (laughs) from 1862 <laughs> he, lovely stuff <laughs> just going just going from the simpsons to that is it but like this is I, I was thinking about books and i was thinking this is my favorite kind of literature father and again i was thinking i haven't read the right books like they're not they're not coming to me you know like most of my favorite say young man characters have completely irrelevant dads or awful dads you know and and the, and the the kid is often you know the, the young man is like defined by not being their dad and that kind of thing but in this book fathers and sons uh, this guy his son is called rkd and it's kind of the the main character and he he's gone off to university no this is in you know pre-revolution you know kind of real czarist russia and he's gone off to university and he's got all these new ideas of nihilism from his new nihilist friend and um comes back to his dad's kind of estate you know where he has all his serfs and stuff and his dad is a widower and his dad is just so pleased to have his son back from university because imagine you know coming back from university means like probably a week a week on a coach you know what i mean with horses and uh he's so pleased to have his son back and he just thinks his son's brilliant but then he's hearing his son go on about all this nihilism and he's like this lovely guy who just lives for his son and is heartbroken <laughs> by having lost his wife and um, <laughs> you just kind of love him and all the way through the book you're going i'm not sure about this main character but i love his dad you know and and it's it's uh you know spoilers they're relatively reconciled at the end but it, it's and like in a lot of those kind of these classic Russian novels, like an awful lot happens. Like everyone gets married and dies, and you know what I mean. Everyone, this crazy stuff happens. Everyone has ten names, but this warm kind of father who is seen by everyone as kind of a bit pathetic and too nice and kind of you know just happy with his small time life. You know, a small time. He has like a hundred serfs on his uh, on his estate. You know, many acres, but he's you know, he's not considered, he's not a big strapping kind of hero of a sword on a horse, you know, like you ought to be in a kind of classic Russian uh, czarist way. But he's he's just like a lovely guy who's looking out for the right things. And it's, it's a really nice book about fathers and sons. And uh, one of my favorite novels. And uh, yeah, I have to stick that one in there. 
Nikolai Petrovich Kursunov. Have you got the next? Have you got that in your list, Nat? Next? Huh? Maybe. Have you got the same one? We'll see. We'll see. Snap. We'll see. We'll find out. But my number three, three. is not that guy. It is <laughs> a guy uh, who is a bad dad. Um, and you'll get it when I tell you that whenever I bring up uh, James Earl Jones, I like to explain him as being, oh, you know James Earl Jones. He's a guy who plays the dad in Star Wars. <laughs> um, so my number three is Darth Vader because he fit my – he's a bad dad for sure. Um, and he's also a bad dad all the way through, really. he It fit my brief because he's someone who isn't incidentally a dad – He's someone who his being a dad changes the course of a story is incidental to the plot of it, that he is a dad. Um, he's a cool looking dad, to be fair. Um, and I think it's like it's it is one of those sort of very kind of iconic designs that's a bit kind of sort of feudal Japan, but also just the idea that when when you think of like Star Wars being influenced by uh comic strips and things something you would never have in a comic strip would be a character who is completely black and you have that sort of design of something where in film it works where you can have these stormtroopers that are all white and this baddie who is all black in contrast because light in uh, in film you can see it all you can see that it's not just all black it's lots of different shapes happening it's a very cool very sort of cinematic piece of design um he's definitely a bad dad i mean there is the idea that that when they make the idea that oh it's all about him really it's all about him that essentially though he's never a good dad he's always a bad man i don't i think the redemption of him at the end is always a bit like sure yeah but it doesn't make him a good guy he's still a bad guy I don't know that Anakin Skywalker is ever a, a good good person, really. I think he's, um, I don't know, but he's a bad dad, but he is a huge dad Yeah, I've, in, I've, dad. in the world of culture. I find his redemption at the end very, very unconvincing. To me, it's a bit like mm, people who are too. lifelong atheists who suddenly find God on their deathbed. And it's like... Exactly. Come on, you know, you, you're, 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 his, 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 he's thinking, oh, maybe I wasn't all right, all these awful things I've done because I'm going to die type thing. That's not, that's not a good kind of, I mean, that's only like, it was like, he's, well, he's a good dad for like one minute of his life. That's not Yeah, good, exactly. You know. Exactly. Very much so. But it's, it, it's an impressive dad to have been played by four or five people, five people. That's impressive. In one mm. series of films, very impressive. Many men made that dad and one little boy. All inside the one coat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's so tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number three is Frank Costanza in Seinfeld, who is played by the late, great Jerry Stiller, who uh, is also Ben Stiller's dad. So he's probably a good dad in real life from reports. Um, he wasn't the original George Costanza's dad. Um, 
in the show. He he turned up around season five when they recast it. And the previous version, if you go back, like it's weird. The previous version uh, was played by another actor and he was kind of meek and forgettable and still a reworked him as this total lunatic. So um, Peter Melman, who's one of the writers on Seinfeld said that the character was in this perpetual state of moral outrage. So he's this cranky old man who challenges anyone to a fist fight. And all of this is uh, according to everything I've read about him, completely unlike Jerry Stiller himself, but he's made this madness into another uh, iconic character who originally was quite forgettable. He was just some dad in a sitcom. And uh, I love that he's prone to fits of rage. And uh, he is such a madman that he has raised George Costanza, who is this giant neurotic mess that is George Costanza. But um, and one of, the, one of the ways he's done that is he invented a festival. It's a secular holiday called Festivus. It happens on December 23rd. Uh, it's called the Festivus for the rest of us. And it's where the family gathers around an aluminium pole um, and they do things like there's the feats of strength, there's the airing of <laughs> grievances. And, um, and I love it because I, I don't like Christmas. You guys know I'm not big on Christmas. And I love that he just started this non-commercial thing and uh, the, the festival doesn't end until someone pins the host to the ground. It, uh, it, it just sounds like something that would have happened in my house as a child. And uh, there were moments where my dad was pinned to the floor by his friends um, <laughs> after, after the airing of grievances. It wasn't an official festival, but um, watching it on, on Seinfeld, you went, yeah, we do that too. I just think he's, uh, he's a great character in, in himself, but he's one of the very best things about an already brilliant show. Love him. I would have had him on my list. I would have had him, but I predicted Campbell. <laughs> Campbell will have him. I think he's. I think he's a great sitcom dad. I think, and kind of probably outside of the main cast, he is the best character in Seinfeld. He's probably better than some of the main cast. Mm -hmm. It's a. He's such a. And he is. He's one of those people who. I mean, I don't really know what his career was. I haven't sort of retrospectively seen him in a lot of stuff. But he is just one of those actors that when you see him, he's just like kind of this guy's incredible. I love it. I, <laughs> like I love seeing Jerry Stiller and stuff. And and he's when he's such a madman, he's such a madman. And when he died, there was this clip going around that was a blooper reel from from an episode of Seinfeld, where uh, he was threatening to. He was saying to Elaine, "You want a piece of me?" And. Uh, <laughs> And uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus could not keep a straight face because he is just so funny. And the blooper reel was just her cracking up laughing. And the scene was just ruined over and over again because he was too funny. He's amazing. I think that Festivus as well is kind of like, that's a real thing now. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, it was, that's the thing. Well, it was the, one of the Seinfeld writers had it in his house as he was growing up and he was tasked with writing an episode. So he just stuck it in. And now it's a thing. Yeah. It will probably outlive the memory of the show. Be like, what are you doing? Twenty yeah. third. Well, <laughs> it's the airing of grievances. <laughs> that's a good one. Even me, Seinfeld hater, is like, yeah, that is a that is a good character. It's a good one. My is my number three. My number three. Mm -hmm. My number three is Man. Is it's Man from the film The Road. 
2009, based on the Cormac McCarthy book that I haven't read because everyone says it's really <laughs> miserable and the film is pretty miserable. But um, yeah, played by Viggo Mortensen. Good, good, miserable. <laughs> I'm sure, but you know, I didn't, you know. I can only read like the very hungry caterpillar. You've just talked about a Russian novel and you're saying this one's too miserable. It's really short, this one too. So is the Russian novel I talked about, actually. It's quite short. Anyway, but yeah, I really liked the film on the road. When I say really liked, obviously it was miserably horrible, but I had that in mind a lot prior to having kids you know just this kind of like absolute ultimate version you know it's it's a post-apocalyptic world something terrible has happened this man has got his son he's a widower and um they've got to survive with only two bullets left with no food in a world that's full of crazy marauding gangs and it's just awful so it's like the most extreme version of dadding really that's that's you know that's the that's the hardcore dadding, and I think if you're if you're thinking about becoming a dad, you'd be like, I don't know, how good would I be at fending off the the gangs of people trying to steal your child to eat or whatever they're doing, you know what I mean, and foraging for petrol or whatever, you know, like it's it's hardcore dadding, and I think we know from from fiction that hardcore extreme situations is a great way of exploring things that we all feel in smaller amounts you know what i mean so like when you're you know you're holding your kid's hand as they walk along a wall or something and you're like i don't know it's a one and a half foot drop you know you better hold on to my hand you know that kind of thing it's all the little minor versions of your road and i think i think uh it's much easier to think about things in extreme ways and stuff but that kind of extreme dadding that's in in the road it's quite touching it's quite you just feel a real kind of this dad is just doing everything he can for his kid to keep his kid alive and get somewhere better and yeah that's very very moving when you for me when you when you think about it from a sort of dad perspective it's like you're just you just do anything in a in a in a in an awful situation like that thankfully it's not that bad at the moment so we don't have to you can just watch telly or something. It's fine, you know. <laughs> but you, that kind of feeling of—it's a real expression of a feeling of being a dad in an extreme way. That's uh, yeah, very moving. And Viggo Mortensen is quite a good daddy kind of dude. I can definitely take him as a dad in the film. The thing again, I haven't read the book, uh, but the thing of the film, whether it's in the book or not, I don't know. That really stayed with me is the bit of him going to such great extremes to get um, a can of drink out of a machine to give to the kid. (laughs) That's a bit I always think about. To the point where uh, it feels like this could be an advert for Coke. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? That could just be that bit. And at the end it comes up Coke. In the same way they in that bit in Ice Cold in Alex was actually used as like, a Carlsberg advert, the bit where they finally get the beer and they're just watching the kind of, and it just comes up with like Carlsberg. It's like, it feels like that almost like you could use it as a proper soft drink ad. Yeah. The, the bit where there's a bit where they find the like underground store of food and it's just like all this food and you know, you, they've had like nothing to eat and suddenly there's all this food and it's like pristine packaging and stuff. It really, you know, to, to fans of, packaged food like us it's really like oh yeah that'd be the that'd be the, that'd be the hole in the ground i'd be looking for in the, in the post-apocalypse <laughs> like there's chocolate bars and stuff you know 
<laughs> Top dad. My number two is George McFly from the movie Back to the Future. And I'd say significantly not George McFly from the film Back to the Future 2, where he's played by someone else briefly and you only see like the sort of stand-in for Crispin Glover sort of popping about and trying to cover his face. Is he even in two? While he waves at people. No, he's not in two at all. The character is, briefly. Where, where? You sort of see him in, well, you get him in sort of uh, cut scenes from the first one you see him. The dad is played by someone else in the future, but only for like a second where he's sort of hovering upside down in a special sort of flying thing. <laughs> um, and you occasionally see Crispin Glove or a man who's obviously meant to be him kind of waving like that. Like, hi, I'm covering my face so you can't see who I am. Um, but specifically in the film, I, I love Back to the Future and I especially love it, or especially loved it. Um, I feel like I, I've sort of stopped watching it now because I feel I might have seen it too much. And I always worry about how well these films all hold up. But I watched that film continuously as a kid. And when I was a kid, before the age of, I guess, my teens... I would always see Marty McFly as this kind of this sort of cool guy, but he's not like a he's not like a he's like a movie cool guy. But within the school, he's not the coolest guy in the school, and he's not he's not the best one. But he sticks up for people. And he's a cool guy, mm. and that's the kind of person I go. I relate to this guy. Who that's what I'm gonna be like. And then I think <laughs> when you get to the same age Marty McFly is, you think, oh no. I'm George McFly. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> Marty McFly. I'm much closer to the guy, uh, his dad in the fifties. And again, it's a great film about sort of fathers and sons and generational thing, with the idea that you can just go back and see what your actual dad was like when mm. he was your age. Mm. And you know, with the bit with this one where he finds him, chases him, and he has the myth of him as being the guy who punched out Biff. <laughs> uh, and one over the mum and when he meets him he's this guy who isn't that guy at all and when the f he first follows him of course you have the reveal of Marty McFly saying he's a peeping Tom <laughs> as he first finds him spying on his mum getting undressed while sat up a tree <laughs> it's that sort of it's it's that kind of disappointment of people but also sort of re real like kind of getting a better idea of who they are because you don't get to see the mythologized version of who they are as a as a grown-up and i i think that that performance as well i think is incredible and i think partly as well that you know i sort of seek out films that crispin glover's in now but only because there's there's just not that many whereas he was always like who's this guy he was like it was such a kind of star performance with someone who I never really saw in other films where it would always be like, why is this guy not in other stuff? Especially when he's a young, young man, it's incredible. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Like he's, he's great in that movie. Um, and there's so much about him that I, you can kind of, that feels much more like, it feels like he's almost a, a more rounded character than Marty McFly is. He's given all the kind of stuff to do. Yeah. He's given all the stuff he to has the journey. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Marty McFly isn't really his thing is I have to defeat time. Whereas he's almost like he's he's going through the he exists in the story, but the person who changes isn't him. <laughs> it's 
it's uh, his dad is the one who kind of changes over the course of it. His dad kind of becomes the main character by the fact that Marty McFly isn't allowed to change because he knows he's been told he can't. He's got to be the one who stays the same. But the person who has to change plot-wise is this guy who's not the main character. You just reminded me, I had, I had a dream. The best dream I ever had was I went back in time to the 60s and um, I was like, I realized I was in the 60s and I'm like, what am I going to do? I have to find my dad. But I was in New York, so I, I didn't know. I was in New York and I was like, who do I know in New York in the 60s? I was like, I don't know. I guess I know that Miles Davis and Charles Mingus are in New York in the 60s, right? So I tr I went and found Mingus because in his autobiography, he's quite clear about where he lives and everything. So I had this dream where I'm, 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 I'm going to Charles Mingus and I'm like, you know, I'm saying like, you know, let me in your house. And he's like, no, man, go away. I'll shoot you. You know, he's Mingus is crazy. So <clears throat> I'm like, you know, I can prove that I'm from the future. Like, I can prove I know what your next album is going to be called. You know, anyway, I managed to convince him that, uh, that I'm from the future by telling him things that are in his autobiography that nobody else could know because he hasn't told them to his or you know his biographer yet at that point. So I convince him that I'm from the future because like it's like he's a good person to go to because he's crazy enough to believe that someone from the future might come and visit him. So I had to basically convince him to get me back to the UK so that I could then find my dad. And I think I got to the point where I was getting on a steamer i mean it's the 60s i could have got a plane but i got on a steamer and um because you just would wouldn't you you know and uh and then i got woken up and but it, it was it had been such a great dream to that point and i was just like what's gonna happen you know when you go back to bed and you're just like oh please go back to sleep in the same dream like please get me back into that dream <laughs> never found out what happened i think that'd be a great movie i'd watch that yeah but you need to write the the second half hmm. i think it's be quite difficult i think my dad would be a lot more freaked out than mingus by someone visiting him for the future his own son sure no. but i like the idea that you would know his stuff because you've read a autobiography of someone right and that's i think that's solution. interesting by going who is who's here in the 60s i yeah. think that would be a fun fun mm. idea it was a good job it was new york and not like leicester or something actually if it was sure. Leicester I could have found my way back home quite easily yeah <laughs> forget it <laughs> good dad yeah good dad my number two is Gomez Adams um and Ooh. I think this is the only dilf on my list I bet you weren't expecting uh not many dilfs um no, I was expecting a lot of dilfs I... yeah well there's only one only one shocked me too but um I, if I'm going to pick a Gomez, I'd go with uh, Raul Julia in the in the films. I thought he was perfection. Um, but the the character of Gomez, he's just he's a great dad because he's mischievous, he's wildly enthusiastic, and he'll quickly get swept up in uh, other people's plans, no matter how stupid or uh, or whatever they are, whatever the kids need he'll get for them. So they want to play autopsy. He'll go find them the sharpest knife. Um, they're spoiled in the most goth ways imaginable, but he's also like very interested and super supportive of these two kids um, and all of their mad creative endeavors, whatever they are. 
Um, he's constantly telling them how proud he is of them, and he seems to actually want them around, which is is rare for for like fictional dads. Mm-hmm. Fictional dads are like absent guys, and the pilot of the TV show is even him not wanting to send the kids to school. He goes, "Why have children just to get rid of them? I'm opposed to the whole nonsense." Um, so. I like that. And I like that he teaches them to be free of judgment and to not not worry what others think uh, and to believe in themselves, blah, 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 blah. Mostly I like Gomez because uh, in all of these TV shows and movies where husbands are cheating on their wives and leaving the family home, Gomez would never. He's a dad and he's also this doting husband, Morticia. He's completely in love with her, especially when she speaks French. And they still fancy each other, which is not usually the the situation for for couples who are married with kids in t- TV shows. They're just kind of tired and they can't be bothered. But these two are randy. Um, uh, I love them. I love especially, them in the, in especially the in sitcoms. Well. Yeah, in sitcoms they they they're not like this. Um, I think he's. I think you're right. He's such a good character because he's so like sort of manically interested in his kids and like supportive to them you're right it's a really unusual kind of like, yes i'm totally of course you are doing that you know and that's such yeah. a fun thing to be because kids are so used to parents being like well you know stop doing that or whatever when you do take an interest they're so pleased you know they're so into that it's interesting that they that he is like as a family they're designed to be like the opposite of all other sitcom families but it is funny that a lot of what they do by being opposite is actually them being really nice to each other. Mm. Yeah. It's not at all like, it's sort of like, the, and you realize that this kind of anti sitcom with all these characters who are meant to be like, I mean, they're almost like horror characters that are sort of the nicest people in sitcoms. It's that way that you sometimes go, you know what? I'd happily go to Summer Isle where the Wicker Man is because they're having a great time. (laughs) You know, they're not actually doing like it's it's bad if you're uh, Edward Woodward. But essentially, they are not really harming anyone apart from once a year if the harvest fails. But apart from that, (laughs) they are not. they're, They're actually quite they're quite good people. They're they're not they're not judgmental and they're not as narrow minded as. Uh, Edward Woodward is and in uh, the Adams Family movie when they're like running around the graveyard at night playing Wake the Dead it's not for any creepy reason they're just checking on like their uncles and aunts (laughs) and seeing how they are saying hello it's um I think they're a lovely little family but of course I would say that no they are though (laughs) and are you a fan of the original comic books the comic strips as well does it yes does it does it extend to that because I don't know them well I have a well. They're they're not comic strips so much. They're just uh, little one pager cartoons. But yeah. I have a framed one. It's not an original, obviously. Although I would kill for it uh, in the flat here. And it's the one where um, it's Gomez and Morticia are sitting on a sofa in front of a cobwebby fireplace. And he says to her, "Are you unhappy, darling?" And she goes, "Yes, yes, completely." And that's my favorite one. It's <laughs> great. It's a super character. We, the I, nice thing so much of the black and white TV show. It used to be on all the time, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, it'd be like a sort of six o'clock kind yeah. of in between adult TV and kids TV, and sort of fits that role perfectly. I'm pretty sure 
John Astin's still alive, right? He's still with us. The original Gomez, I think. I really? think he's still there. Well, and it's Julia, funny, not so much. No. no, it's funny how they're both they're both very well cast. That they do have this, they do both have a real aspect of the kind of Charles Adams cartoon about them as well. They've got a real look of it. Yeah, but yeah, I really like I really like John Astin as well. I think he's like a great, great actor. My number two is one that I reckon that would have guessed would be on my list. Probably, I like to include a Pixar character, and I've included Marlin the Clownfish who is the father of Nemo in Finding Nemo. And, you know, in the film, Finding Nemo has to find his son. And he's very worried. And he is brave and courageous in the finding of his son, right? But that's not it, right? It's the opening bits of the film where you see that he is, has his lovely wife, Coral, and they live in their anemone or whatever it is. And then there's a barracuda attack and coral is gone and all the eggs are gone all except for one and it's like almost all pixar films or at least all the best ones it's that little setup at the beginning that you go oh, okay i 100 percent get the importance of his son to him because you've just shown me that the, you just showed me he loved his wife fish yeah and they had a lovely home and he was going to have a whole nest of fish babies whatever they're called <laughs> and um and he's just left with the one and so he's super overprotective at the beginning and then he's a bit more like no it's okay i'm being too overprotective he's very self-aware i'm being too overprotective you go out and enjoy the world a bit go to nursery school whatever and then he goes missing right and it's that setup gives him all the kind of way more depth than a kind of Liam Neeson film where his kid's been captured, taken hostage by a terrorist or something. You don't need all that. You don't need all that. You just need your kid to have gone missing when you were looking the other way. That's way more scary to a parent, you know? And uh, yeah, I didn't have kids when I saw Finding Nemo, but I, but, you know, he, he's a fantastic character and people talk about, you know, people talk about Nemo and they talk about Dory. If you go to the aquarium and they have clownfishes and what are they? Angelfish, I think, whatever. And people go, look, it's Nemo. Look, it's Dory. And I'm always thinking, what about, you know, Marlin? The, the, he's, the, he's the absolute soul of that, that film. And he's, he's uh, just another kind of, again, another widower, another kind of extreme dadding situation he has to you know he has to deal with sharks and turtles and all sorts and australian seagulls but he, he you know he's 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 fantastic and he's again like another classic pixar moving character that we're talking about a little cartoon fish mm. i think that film is great because it really does amp up the anxiety factor for something there's a lot of uh, mild to strong peril in that film and as points of it when I watch it and I think but it actually is impossible it really takes that kind of needle in the haystack idea it's like you can't find him yeah and it's almost that kind of it has to go against your own instincts of this impossible task and make it believable I think I find that really 
satisfying. And they do that in this brilliant way where they sit up at the beginning, like here's a little reef which they live on. It's in like a nice little village and here's where they live and here's where the <laughs> school is and that kind of thing, right? So it's set up all small and then you get just the vastness of the ocean. You know, there's a scene mm. where they see like a, a whale and they're like, oh, hey, like a whale and it's way over there. And they don't realize how big it is until they shout and get attention and it comes back around and it's an absolutely huge whale. And that kind of thing, it does, it gives you that brilliant film thing films can do where they give you sense of scale and they give you sense of environment and stuff. And it is, it's like this huge ocean. So you really feel like they've crossed an ocean chasing this kid. Brilliant. Great dad. Terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. Although just being a parent sounds terrifying to me. I'd rather you need to be in the sea with sharks. I'd rather be a parent of a human than a fish, I think. Although I guess fish don't know better, you know. So yeah. We don't know. <clears throat> I did that myself when I was a kid. I hid from my mum because <laughs> she wanted to walk back from Charing Cross Station and I wanted to get a bus. So I hid. <laughs> and for all intents and purposes, I'd gone missing. And she went and I had to get the... Uh, I had to be have the police pick me up and everything, take me to the police station because uh, you little asshole. Where I did had, you hide? I just hid in a little doorway, <laughs> and I, my plan was to pop out. But when I popped out, no one was there, and I was like, "Oh, this has gone wrong. This has gone terrifying." Uh, <laughs> That's terrifying. We had a similar. We, we had a, we had one like that where we my parents we were in we were on holiday and we were like sitting on the rocks by the sea like um fishing or something like crab fishing or something you know never caught anything but whatever doing something like that and they were going to go and look at gallery or something and 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 i was you know i was i was i was old enough that that was okay but then there were some boys who were like kind of trying to start trouble some bigger boys and me and my sister were like well let's just get off these rocks let's just go back onto the the kind of road you know yeah when my parents had come back we weren't there and so they properly rang the alarm and stuff. And we were walking back through the town. I think it was in St. Ives, right? And we were walking back through the town and there were all these people coming out of their houses, like putting on their like emergency lifeboat gear and a big flare went up and we were like, mm -hmm, it's quite interesting, you know? And then, <laughs> yeah, and eventually we like ran into, we walked back to where we had been and there was my parents or my mum was there like running like crying you know and all these lifeboat people were really relieved but they weren't like oh you've wasted our time but apparently my dad had like found a crab line just like ours like washed up on some rocks you know oh. like jagged rocks at the bottom of a cliff kind of thing so and he hadn't told my mum because oh, yeah. awful so i can't even imagine how that was for my dad no. hey, hey, hey. proper fine i remember trying I was, I was gonna make my own way back and then i realized that i wasn't allowed to cross roads so I kind of got, as soon as I got to the curb, I was like, ah, I, I'm stuck now. I'm stuck now. <laughs> but the solution, of course, when you're a kid, who'd you ask? A lady. Because all ladies <laughs> are all right. Yeah. You don't ask a man, you ask a lady. I got lost uh, and asked a lady in a shoe shop. And then she used the loudspeaker in the shopping center to call my mum. That's pretty mild. Right. I think you know, always a ask a lady. A mall is always a ask a lady. Kids be lost. <laughs> For all our listeners who are uh, under eight, stop listening. Remember, <laughs> ask a lady. <laughs> Public service. <laughs> what?
what's your number one? My number one is Peter Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey's dad. Uh, George Bailey is a good dad in theory, but he is an incidental dad. Um, the only bit where the plot where it would kind of make sense of him being is the idea of the pressure, the financial pressure he has from having kids mm -hmm. when he's just he's just refused his uh, pay rise and new job from Potter. That's the only bit where his dad comes into question. But Peter Bailey is the person who instills George with the idea that maybe he doesn't have to do all the things. And it's that idea where Peter Bailey is a person who is basically made this town, Bedford Falls, where George Bailey lives. And he is the person who has managed to get these guys out of poverty and has created this little township thing where people live where it's Potter, who's a person who's exploiting it and is trying to take that back. Where, of course, it's Peter Bailey, who is the person who's the idealist, who has created all these homes for all the kind of community to live in. Um, and it's Peter Bailey who tries to convince George to stay on because he realizes that of all his kids, he's really the only person qualified to continue what he wants to do. But when he brings it up and tells George, George says, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to stay here. I can't stay in this town for my whole life. And he says, then sort of realize, of course, that that's what his dad's done. And his dad goes, you're right. That's your life. Your life isn't my life. You should do whatever you want to do. And so he's not even needs him to do it. Mm. It's about people he's giving agency to his kids so it's like it's up to you what you do but of course the tragedy is of course this is the last evening of peter bailey's life as well so it's going to have a profound effect on the rest of the film but it's a thing where you see him it's such a clever thing where well, that character is barely in the film really and every time you see him he is the person who george has to ask when he realizes that um that Bauer, the druggist, might be about to poison the kid. There's a ask dad, he'll ask dad. When he goes see his dad, his dad is trying to shout down Potter. So you get all these little bits of, you know who this person is. And it's the idea that after his dad dies and George Bailey's trying to convince him to keep the building and load going, it's Potter who says, you know, it's not. The building and loan is just a building. The building and loan is Peter Bailey and he's dead. That's that's who's done all this. He's the person. Um, and so you need this sort of figurehead for it. But he's my I think he's the best cinematic dad by having the most effect on cinema's greatest character. And therefore, he is the best fictional dad, technically. <laughs> that's a good one. It is a good one. I have another cinematic dad to rival that one. Stuart Mackenzie, AKA the Scottish dad in the 1993 Mike Myers film, So I Married an Axe Murderer, <laughs> who is also played by Mike Myers. Uh, this is the movie where Mike Myers plays a beat poet living in San Francisco. And I think it's underrated. 
I, it, oh, it's very underrated, yeah. It's very good. It has horrible reviews, but it is genuinely funny. It, uh, it's one of those movies, if I watch it, I if I see it, I have to watch it all the way through and I end up crying laughing, mostly because of the dad. I, and this is the all-time most perfectly observed Scottish father on film, I think. If you have a Scottish dad like I do, to watch this is like watching a documentary. And um, I wondered if maybe Myers' dad was Scottish, but according to Wikipedia, his parents are from Liverpool. So I don't know how he got this so correct. Um, but all the stuff about um, tormenting the young kid because of his big head is pure <laughs> Scottish dad. Like this, the, the kid watching it for the first time, I, like I remember my dad was sitting behind me on the sofa and I kept like going, are all dads like this? I thought this was just my dad. Is this a Scottish dad thing? Because this kid is sitting in front of the TV and the dad is behind him shouting, he'd move. And he's calling him Sputnik. And he's saying, he says, uh, you'd make a better door than a window. Actually, I don't think he even said that. That's something my dad says when I'm in the way. Um, <laughs> And, and then when the kid wanders off, he shouts after him, oh, go cry yourself to sleep on your huge pillow. And <laughs> I, I, this, it's just so perfectly observed that uh, I think it's the most perfect representation of a Scottish dad we have on tape. And people think it's a joke and it really isn't. Um, you know, our, when I moved out of home and uh, the, my brother set up the wi-fi in my dad's house the wi-fi password was huge heat because of this film <laughs> i have a, a this one is a total emotional attachment so i cannot say if he is objectively the number one dad but um, I, you're right i 100 percent assumed that is mike myers's dad i yeah. just convinced myself that that is it's too it feels too there's it's, too much detail for it to be like a character creation. Yeah, it, the, like you don't, the the big head thing, I don't know why this is such a Scottish thing, but it is, if you speak to other people who have Scottish dads, they're like, yeah, the huge heat thing um, mm. and, and getting in the way. Uh, it is so, it is so specific that I can't believe his dad isn't Scottish. I don't mm. know how this happened. It could it's be brilliant. Scottish in Liverpool. I mean, he could, well, his dad could have had a Scottish dad. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I, bet, I bet it's there. But it's so atypical in any movies, really, for your dad, for the dad character to be to someone who essentially takes the piss out of their children, whereas actually <laughs> it's much more likely that that's what a dad is doing. Oh, yeah, in real life, that's way more common. But on a TV, yeah. it'd kind of be hard to write. It's hard to write that without it seeming awful. But in reality, yeah. it's not that awful, like... Yeah, lots of people yeah. have dads that are like that. <laughs> it's a loving kind of piss taking. That's, that's a film I definitely okay. need to watch again. I don't think I've seen that since VHS, so it's time great. To, time to have another watch. My number one is also a film dad, but he's more of a comic book dad, and um, I'm wearing a T-shirt of him. Uh, I thought this would come up. Okay. <laughs> it's, oh, of course. Uh, it's Ogami Ito uh, from the uh, comic books Lone Wolf and Cub, or from the Baby Cart film series. And um, is he a good dad? 
I don't know because he's basically <laughs> so he's a widower, and he was the shogun's executioner. He's Kaishakun in 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 uh, you know feudal Japan, and um, he kills an awful lot of people. I mean thousands. <laughs> but his wife's been killed, and he kind of makes a deal with the devil. He kind of says, "I'm going to hell." Um, and he's kind of amoral from that point on. But the one thing he holds on to is looking after his son. And he travels Japan with his son, trying to get revenge on the the guys who set him up. They set him up and they killed his wife. And um, he's he pushes his kid around in a in a baby cart, kind of a primitive wooden bugaboo or upper baby. And uh, he, he equips it with weapons and he has all his swords, but he's just like, there's, there's, there's 28 volumes of the, uh, of the book from, from volume one to volume 28. They're big books. There's a lot in them. Pictures and words, um, written by Kazuo Koike and, uh, drawn by artist Kosiki Kojima. And they started in 1970, took a while to finish. There's been films made, whatever, but it's it's an incredibly long, involved story centering on a dad and his son, small son. He's a baby at the start, grows up a bit to be like, maybe like a toddler or a bit bigger. Yeah, he's probably he's probably six or six by the time the book ends. But it's just it's just you know it's a samurai story and it's like it's completely amoral. And it takes in a million other little stories. Every every chapter is another story involving other people. They come to this village. The people say, we really need you to defeat that person who's making our life a misery. And he goes, well, I suppose if you pay me. And they go, we don't have enough. And he does it because he kind of has this weird duty. And he's, yeah, he's not a good dad because he's put, always putting his son in harm's way. I mean, if you're attaching blades to the <laughs> wheels of your pram, you're basically saying you're going to be pushing your child into danger. But uh, he is the greatest swordsman in the land, and so he can kind of get away with it. But it's just, it's so weird as a kind of action-y saga for for boys. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a yeah. blood and blood and action sort of thing. But it's got this hugely paternal sort of current running through it, and it's extremely philosophical. And it's and it doesn't flesh out the kid. The kid doesn't get much of a personality. He gets a little bit of a personality, but it's all about this man and he's a dad and that's he's his dad and he's a killer and that's all he is, pretty much. But he brings like, justice to the land. I like that in the at the start, the kid is given a choice to the kind of life he wants to have, though. So there's this idea that the kid makes the choice, yeah. where an infant is put in front of is it a sword and is it rice or something? No, it's a bolt. A bo- a ball, yeah, and it's like, what kind of life do you want? And it's the kid who walks towards a sword. He's like, okay, that's he how we're going to do it. Well, he says, like, I, I'm going to walk the path to hell, choose the ball, and you join your mother in death because you can't come with me. But if you choose the sword, you can come with me on the on the path to hell. And he does. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a series of six films, and they're fantastic. They're not as cerebral in a way as the books but they're like 
weird they they because they have this guy thomas aburo wakiyama and he's like this incredibly enigmatic actor i don't know there's ever been a this is a guy who's like killing people and doing all these things but he just gives away nothing and but it he's he appears to like embody all this intense thought and thinking and stuff but he doesn't give it he doesn't give it to you you know it's all in there they're amazing films very strange amazing music and then they made the films they took two of the films and made them into a kind of trashy trashy movie shogun assassin for for the western market with dubbing and stuff it doesn't make any sense because they smushed two films together but it has fantastic music of a totally different synth sort of style it's just a big saga about a dad and a kid so when when i was a little kid when i was a little when i had a little kid a little one little kid and i was pushing them along in a pram and i know other dads who are like this it's like huh it's lone wolf and cub this is my lone wolf and cub time i might have to kill somebody you know with a sword <laughs> somebody might jump out of the bushes at any moment and i guess it sounds like the road it's not like the road because the road he's desperate to make his son survive right and give his son a better life this is like i'm going to hell with my son and i am <laughs> completely competent i can destroy everybody you know and i can d deliver justice in small villages around japan i guess in pop culture the two big things were the max allen collins book road to perdition that became the Sam Mendes, Tom Hanks movie is basically very, I mean, I think it's freely acknowledges that it's adapted from Lone Wolf and Cub, mm. where it's done as a kind of prohibition era gangster story. And I guess now the Mandalorian, the sort of Star Wars spin off is basically, oh, we'll just do it as Lone Wolf and Cub. So it's just. Yeah, it's a bit like that. It borrows, the Mandalorian borrows imagery and leans on it and stuff but it's very it's very different when you are the dad mm. and you've got 28 volumes of manga about you it's just a i don't know it's a beautiful it's a beautiful book it's one of my favorite books 100 percent, and is a top top dad in a way <laughs> <laughs> in a way uh did we have any honorable mentions of other dads that didn't make the grade i do i've got two I've got uh, Tony Soprano, not for being a father to his kids. I mean, he's a very protective father to the point of questionable violence, but it was his relationship to the ducks at the beginning. He was a good father to the ducks. <laughs> and then when they flew away and he had a panic attack and he had to go to therapy, that started the whole TV show. So I think it was... Uh, a very important relationship there. I also had um, the dad in Philip Roth's Portnoy's Complaint, um, who I don't remember anything about other than the fact that he always enters a scene by exiting the toilet. And I think having <laughs> an unpredictable ass or some sort of indigestion problem is, a, is an essential part of being a dad. It's like second to eyebrows. You got to have uh, eyebrows and an ass problem. You got to so come, coming out of the toilet is a real dad thing definitely <laughs> yeah he's, he's like he's got constant uh he's constantly constipated and he's always trying so whenever there's a conversation that he's got to be part of he comes out of the toilet to to be part of it because that's just where he lives <laughs> um the ones that i kind of 
were close to doing, but they're two kind of similar films were the sort of dad characters from the two big Wes Anderson dad movies, uh, Steve Zissou and Royal Tannenbaum is that it's that it's that Royal Tannenbaum particularly feels like a, a really good dad movie because it's all about a dad's relationship with all of his kids and but the thing about him is he's a bad dad everything about him is a bad dad <laughs> and yet the journey of the film is by the end of the film you're still gonna be uh in bits when the bad dad dies it's that sort of idea that you go oh but he's still a dad to these kids and it is someone sort of almost accidentally making amends whereas you sort of see the effect it's had on all these kids whereas there are these moments in it which are like real kind of for for you know that kind of um comedy film which you laugh at it really it's one of those very clever films it really walks a tightrope between utter tragedy and sort of quite silly comedy and it is that thing where i think it's i think that's a really clever thing that at the end of it this guy who's a bad guy how much you care about this bad guy because almost because you see him through the eyes of his kids so he's now sort of become he's redeemed through his kids and i think that's a really good and um life aquatic with steve zisu is the other one which is the you know a dad a dad movie with I don't know uh, what Wes Anderson's relationship is with his own dad, but it certainly suggests <laughs> a complicated <laughs> relationship with his with his dad. <laughs> and I think he tells it like I think that I think those films, I think those two films of his are really where he's kind of firing on all cylinders. And I don't think he ever really has ha hit those heights before or since. I think that's the kind of loop of his movies. And as much as now he's like an Oscar bait guy and he's like the last couple of movies are like best film. It's like he's he's done it. He's kind of he's had his moment and now he's doing now he makes Wes Anderson movies. But the ones that have real power to them are those those movies, I think that kind of and I guess to a slightly lesser farther extent, but it's certainly in the background, uh, Rushmore as well. But I think particularly Royal Tannenbaum and Steve Zissou are all about, it's a big movie, two big movies that are about very complicated dads. And in a lot of times, you know, it's all, they're all about dads. Who's the dad? Does it matter who your dad is? Uh, it, they're all, they're all big dad movies. Um, but they're both because they're both about the same topic. It seemed weird to try and pick one over the other, or tr they're both big, big dad looming movies. I was just thinking about one which I've only seen once, so I wouldn't put it in my top five. But uh, the Will Smith film in, in Pursuit of Happiness. Um, that's a oh, proper that's, that's a proper make you cry dad performance. He kind of does a does everything for his kid. I think he's a widow as well, or something like that. He seems to be on his own with the kid anyway, and and it's a, it's a, it's not a fictional dad though. It's a it's a true story, I think. So maybe that doesn't count at all. Yeah, I think that's a true story. But it's a it's okay. a hell of a it's a hell of a dad one. Talked yourself out of a dad. Yeah, no dad for that one. Got any worse dads? There's a lot of terrible dads. Hmm. 
you know, I put them on my list. <laughs> They're but, not separate. <laughs> but just, I mean, so many dads in films and books and things are just these like terrible people, and they're clearly based on the 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 creative person's dad. And you just think, oh god. Yeah. But awful. I still might. I, I think the the terrible dads are just the forgettable ones. I would still put a bad dad on a, on a list. I can't. There's the. Uh, did you see uh, another Pixar one? Did you see Onward? No, no, I haven't seen that yet. That is a film which cleverly, it wasn't on the list. Like, it's one of those films that feels like you're watching a mid-level Pixar, and then the ending is like, a, oh, there you go. That's your big build-up. But that's a film that almost buries the lead by saying, hey, it's a film about dads. And at the end, you go, it's not a film about dads. You've tricked us. You've tricked us. And when you've prepared yourself for one gut punch... They've done another one, and you go, oh, "I didn't. You didn't allow me to prepare for the what the actual <laughs> film's about." Because you set up that it's a dad movie, but it's not a dad movie. It's about something else. Well, I just probably just leave us to say the important things: um, a happy Father's Day to all the dads, and uh, even the bad dads, and uh, or the granddads. It's not Granddad's Day. Oh, wait a minute. Is oh, there that, one? Oh, that's how it works, though. They're still dads. Yeah. See, they're still dads. Once you've been a dad, you're always a dad, even if you then become a granddad. Yeah. Please let us know yours, especially let me know because I didn't think of mine very well. I so. think this is definitely one which is like it's a hard list to come up with. And I'm fully expecting there might be tons of people going, what about such and such? And I'll have to go, yeah, of course. Of course, that one I've totally forgotten about and never thought about. I know my sister's <laughs> going to be like, you left off all the ones that we loved when we were kids in children's books and cartoons and films and stuff. And I would be like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of them. So, yeah, I'm fully expecting to. If you ask me next week, I'm sure I'll have a much better, a much better top five <laughs> fictional dads list. Well, that my number one isn't moving. Thank you for joining us this week, Hayley. Yep. Thank you for having me again. you got to go back to writing I'm, now. Ha uh, <laughs> ha. I <laughs> i know no more this is fun though uh it feels it feels rude to have taken up two guest spots you've only had two guests so far and now i'm a repeat yeah but now you're uh but you are the only person we could consider to have as a, a dad fan it would have <laughs> yeah. seemed weird to have someone else on yeah who'd we go for dads i don't know um and we can now call you friend of the show we could be like friend of the show holy campbell friend of the oh, show yeah, friend of the show friend of the show you have true. to be on if you're on twice you become friend of the show this is a fact yeah, yeah. we got some more series regular we got some more um <laughs> people coming up haven't we yeah yeah we've got yeah. to get some uh you know it's all organizational but uh it's all in the in the stages we got some we put some feelers out put some feelers out nice. we've got some good suggestions for uh top fives today yeah we i've seen have. some really good ones today um, i've seen some good ones top five smells i'm quite looking forward to doing um <laughs> no that's the kind of thing i think about top five smells the best smells i remember yeah. was it in the it was in gosh it was during a stock take or something i can't remember who it was was it tom crowley or somebody said if you could already smell... this is setting it up for this will no way be a, a, a great top five smell. Such an unlikely, <laughs> no, an unlikely setting to have a great it, smell. 
It was one of those questions that was put to the put to the people in the room doing a very monotonous task. And it was if you could smell like one part of your body, but all of you smells like that part of your body, which part of your body would you smell like? (laughs) And there was discussion and then people (laughs) settled on forearm. If all of your body could smell like a forearm. You know what? I think I remember this and I agree. (laughs) <laughs> yeah confirmed absolutely confirmed would it make you, know, you top you smells though i think I, i'm sure i brought this top up at five the time. smells on my body is not a list we're going to be doing if i if i have a bath if i have a bath i often have a sniff of my forearm actually and go yeah i like it it's that nice it's that sort of thing where you've done you've washed your hands mm-hmm. and you go like mm, a little bit of scented soap love it <laughs> love it I often tell my kids when I try and ask them, I try and make them think they're going to get an easy question. I say, how many arms have you got? And they go, two. And I go, no, because you've got forearms. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a dad joke. It's a dad that joke. is an absolute it's the kind dad of, joke. kind of, why are you? Kind of thing I like to do with them. So there's some Great. dadding. There's a bit of dadding for you there. Some real world dadding. IRL. IRL dad. Um, salute to all the fictional dads and the real dads, and we'll catch you next time. Like and subscribe and all the other things. The other things. And, yeah, yeah, just just do them. And we'll see you next time with another incredibly trivial but very thought-about list. Mm. Bye. Bye.